Hey everybody, I just wanted to let you know, before this episode starts, there are a few spoilers, um, actually a lot of spoilers, for the show Avatar The Last Airbender. If you are going to listen to it, just know that, but if you want to, you should go on to Netflix or at least watch a couple episodes. I think you'll really get hooked onto it, and um, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thematic Commander. My name is Jason. I love Magic the Gathering, and I also love building themed EDH decks. On this channel, I'm going to take some of your favorite stories, TV shows, lore, game mechanics, and turn them into playable EDH decks that still tell a story. Thanks, everybody, and on to the show. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Thematic Commander. I'm sorry about uh, missing one week. Uh, what ended up happening is I got a tick bite and had to go to urgent care, and then a bunch of other uh, life stuff came up, but we're back, and this week we're going to be doing Avatar, The Last Airbender. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. We're doing Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, the world starts off with four different elements that people can control. Uh, air being one, fire, water, and earth. The world is broken up into four, originally broken up into four kingdoms. The water tribe in the north and south pole. The fire nation in the uh, isles off to the east. And then the earth kingdom and air no, or earth kingdom off to the, oh no, sorry. The Earth Kingdom off to the east and the Fire Kingdom off to the west. And then Air Nomad's uh, temples at the north, south, east, and west. East and west areas. For many centuries, they had lived in harmony until one day, as you find out, the Avatar, the... Basically, if you think about it in magic terms, the soul of the world, but not really if you get into more of the story, uh, he goes missing mysteriously. And the world is plunged into a hundred years of war, uh, mainly because the Fire Nation... Everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Attacked. <laughs> As it also said in the intro, uh, the Fire Nation being a very uh, led under a very ambitious ruler at the time, had experienced a period of great prosperity. And once the Avatar leaves, which was one of the one things that was stopping the Fire Nation from expanding their empire, they decide to go and find where the the next Avatar would be born. So the Avatar at the time, a uh, hundred years ago, was a Fire Nation Avatar, still had control of all four elements, but um, Fire was his main nation. The next one was going to be an Air Nomad. So what the Fire Nation did is they actually went and they killed all of the Air Nomads at all of the temples. Little did they know that the Avatar had already been born before anything happened, or before any of the Fire Nation attacking happened, and he got trapped 
in some ice uh, when he went to run away. And that's where the story picks up is a hundred years after the Fire Nation attacked and destroyed all the air nomads. The Fire Nation is starting to push further and further into the Water Kingdom, into the Earth Kingdom, and creating colonies as they go. We start off in the Northern Water Tribe. That is incorrect, you dummy. We started out in the Southern Water Tribe. We're going to the Northern Water Tribe. This comes to you from future Jason. With Katara and Sokka. Their father, their mother had been killed earlier in their lives in a Fire Nation raid. And their father went off to help the... Or went off to help the Earth Kingdom uh, fend off the Fire Nation. So it ended up leaving very few warriors in the Northern Water Tribe. They end up rolling across something in the ice, and they find out that it's actually the Avatar, the last airbender. Aang and his companion, Appa, end up breaking out of the ice, and they're all of, I think... I said 16, but he's probably a little bit younger than that. And Katara believes that Aang will be able to save the world, as she said. Uh, they start off their journey and they go through all the through the Earth Kingdom. They're making their way down to the Southern Water Tribe. Uh, a lot of prophecy happens. They get to see a lot of the casualties of war that goes through these worlds. And then it's just about, really about Aang's journey and Sokka and Katara's journey to help Aang learn all four elements and even unlock what they call the Avatar State. Uh, I really love this series. I mean, if you haven't had a chance to read or to watch this, you really should go and watch this. It's such a great series. And then they even have the next series out that's um, the next Avatar after Aang, which would be Korra. So The Legend of Korra is the next one out there. But the character development, the personal uh, relationships that are built, even just the view of the societies that they go through, the different cultures uh, and the different ways of thinking, it really gives you a good perspective as a young adult or even as an adult to grasp how human nature works and the importance of unity. So that was section one. We're going to go on to section two now. Uh, and I did it a little bit different this time in the sections you'll see when we get there. So on to section two. How am I going to find him, uncle? He is clearly a master of evasive maneuvering. You have no idea where you're going, do you? Well, I know it's near water. I guess we're getting close then. So, we're in section two. Section two is where we're going to break down the deck uh, into how it fits into the theme for this week. And theme being, obviously, Avatar. Uh, what I did is I actually broke it down into the different books. So each season is a different book. Uh, and there's three books. We have book one being water. In water, this is where we meet our main characters that we're going to see for the rest of the series. We get really a lot of things explained. So for book one, we meet the commander of our deck, which is Aang, displayed as Golos Tireless Pilgrim. Good evening, Mr. Sokka Water Tribe. Miss Katara Water Tribe. Lord Momo of the Momo Dynasty. Your Momoness. Avatar Aang, how you do go on? A uh, five mana artifact creature, legendary creature scout. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a land, put it under the battlefield tapped. It has an activated ability of two white, blue, black, red, green. So all the colors, which the avatar will have to master all of the elements. Exile the top three cards of your library. You may put, you may play them this turn without paying their mana costs. And he is a three five. Uh, I think 
Golos Tireless Pilgrim is a pretty decent representation of Aang, just for the fact that he is a pilgrim going on his pilgrimage to all the nations to right a wrong that happened a hundred years ago that he he feels personally responsible for leaving the world in the state that it is now. And a lot of people in the series also believe the same thing, uh, that Aang really left the world into darkness uh, and leaving the Fire Nation to do what they want. So also, we have Appa, his flying water bison, we're all starting to get a little worried about you. You've been awake too long. And you're acting downright weird. You've got to take care of yourself. You can't go on like this. Yeah, leave the kid alone. Hey, who asked you? Guys, come on. No, I am sick of this guy always mouthing off and telling me what to do. Oh, you don't like it? Well, let's go right now. Water bison? Water buffalo? I don't know. This is represented by Luminous Broodmoth, or Broodmoth, sorry. Two white-white creature insect flying. Whenever a creature you control without flying dies, return it to the battlefield under your control with a flying counter on it. It's a 3-4. So, I mean, come on. If Appa's always getting the gang out of terrible situations, giving them the ability to fly is also a great way to represent it. Also just a really great creature. Say Aang is about to, Aang dies, quote unquote, uh, and then Appa comes in and saves the day. So next we have is Sokka. If I can just get out of this situation alive, I will give up meat and sarcasm. I'm willing to be Sokka the veggies and straight talk fellow. Aang, thank goodness. Have you got any meat? Sokka's represented as Daxos of Miletus. Um, you come to find out later in the series that Sokka uh, is actually just a great warrior. Even though he's kind of the comic relief in the beginning, uh, he ends up traveling through the land and also learning uh, martial arts skills and sword skills and a lot of tactical skills and just becomes a real good uh, tactical warrior. Uh, Daxos of Miletus, in the picture has a sword, is also known to be a pretty decent warrior as well. Daxos is a one white blue legendary human soldier. Daxos can't be blocked by creatures with power three or greater. When Daxos attacks, or when Daxos deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of that player's library. You may gain life equal to that card's converted mana cost. Until end of turn, you may cast that card with that card spending mana as though it were mana of any color. And he's a 2-2. Next up, we have Katara. You're not the only one who draws power from the moon. Katara, we have represented as Kalini, beloved of the sea. One blue-blue legendary enchantment creature demigod. Their power is equal to the amount of blue devotion you have. Creatures, creatures and enchantments you control have spells your opponents cast that target target permanent or target this permanent cost one more to cast. And they are an X3. Uh, I think this also represents Katara pretty well. Maybe for the deck it's not too powerful because we don't have a whole lot of devotion that we can devote to her. But she is still a 2-3 when she comes out. But she is always protecting the group. She is always using her... Uh, in the first book at least, she's always using her powers to help. So those are our protagonists. And then we have our antagonists, which would be Zuko. Hello, Zuko here. But I guess you probably already know me, sort of. Uh, so, the thing is, I have a lot of firebending experience, and I'm considered to be pretty good at it. Well, you've seen me, you know, when I was attacking you. Uh, yeah, I guess I should apologize for that. But, but anyway, 
I'm good now. I mean, I thought I was good before, but now I realize I was bad. But anyway, I think it's time I joined your group and taught the Avatar firebending. Is represented as Kumano, Master of uh, Yabushi. He is a three mana, three red red legendary creature, human shaman. One red master does deals one damage to target creature or player, so to any target. If that creature would that was dealt damage would be put into a graveyard this turn, remove it from the game instead. And they are a four five. Now a lot of people put uh, Zuko as Nameless Army because Nameless Army basically looks like Zuko. But I really think that this kind of represents him a little bit better in the play style. And we also have Iroh kind of as a protagonist or an antagonist. So, Top thinks you give pretty good advice and great tea. The key to both is proper aging. Iroh is Zuko's uncle, and we represent him here as yeah. We, uh, we represent him here as Hamura, human ascendant. Hamura is a four red red. Human legend or legendary creature, human monk, four four, can't block. When he is put into a graveyard from play, return it to the battlefield flipped, and then the flipped is into legendary enchantment. Creatures you control get plus two plus two, and have flying, uh, and also have fire breathing, which would be one red. Pay one red. This creature gets plus one plus zero oh until end of turn. He's also known as the dragon of the west, or he's also known as the dragon, uh, for the simple fact that he. Killed, supposedly killed the last dragon and also uh, uses his breath as a fire weapon and was learned to bend fire with his mouth. So as we go through, we have some of our events that happen. So into the north, we have some of the cards that will represent some of the events that happened in book one. So into the north is them traveling to the northern water tribe as they go through they have to go through some pretty icy areas. So Into the North is a great ramp spell, but also a representation of them heading into the North. Path to Exile. Path to Exile can represent the exile of Zuko from the Fire Nation. So Zuko is actually on a path to find the Avatar and destroy the Avatar uh, because of something he did in the Fire Nation that dishonored his father. Uh, and Zuko actually has a giant scar on his face to remind him about what happens when you dishonor your father. Thing in the Ice. Thingy Ice, if you're not familiar with this card, is one blue creature horror defender. This creature enters the battlefield with four ice counters on it. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, remove an ice counter from Thing in the Ice. Then, if there are no ice counters on it, flip it. And on the backside, it's a woken horror, which doesn't really represent... I mean, I guess it's a horror for the Fire Nation. Um... But Awoken Horror is a horror kraken. Whenever this creature, tra- whenever this creature transforms into Awoken Horror, return all non-horror creatures to their owner's battlefield and their to their owner's hand. Uh, and that is a seven-eight. Uh, just a representation of something in the ice because they were afraid about what was in the ice when they first met him. Uh, but Katara and Sokka ended up not being too afraid once it finally broke open and found out it was Aang. Then we have uh, Blasphemous Act. So I like to have Blasphemous Act represent the uh, act that the Fire Lord at the time took to destroy all of the air nomads at all of the air temples. There's actually a scene when Aang goes to the southern air temple 
uh, to see if any of his people were still around. It's been a hundred years. He's been frozen in ice. So he wanted to know, can I go home? Uh, he ends up finding out that, or he ends up finding out the sad tragedy that happened. And he ends up actually freaking out and going into the avatar state. But Blasphemous Act, I think is a great way to represent it in eight, or not his going into the avatar state, but what happened to the air nomads as eight mana and one red sorcery. It costs less for each creature on the battlefield. It deals 13 damage to each creature. Uh, I do have a card that represents the avatar state for Aang, and I'll go over that right now. Uh, we have Ugin the Spirit Dragon, eight mana, legendary planeswalker Ugin, plus two, Ugin deals three damage to, target, to any target, minus X, exile each permanent with converted mana cost X or less, X or less, that's more than one color, or that's one or more color, and then minus ten, you gain seven life, draw seven cards, then put seven permanents permanent cards from your hand onto the battlefield. Uh, just a super powerful card, and I think it would really represent the Avatar state. He gets this big shiny glow around him. Uh, he's able to do a lot inside the Avatar state, uh, all almost to the point where he is his own army uh, and able to wipe out as much as he'd like. Also at the Southern Air Temple, we meet our one of our last companions for the Avatar, Team Avatar, in Momo. Oh no! I knew it was only a matter of time! Appa ain't Momo! Momo, I'm coming for you, buddy! Sokka, Appa didn't eat Momo. He's probably with Aang. That's just what Appa wants you to think. Get out of the bison's mouth, Sokka! We have Momo, the flying lemur monkey, uh, as Zedru, the dawn, the dawn walker. Zedra, Zidra, Zidra, the Dawnwalker, one Boros hybrid, Boros hybrid, legendary creature, elemental fox. It's a companion, but we're playing as a straight creature. Activate abilities that aren't mana abilities cost two less to activate, so this helps with Ang. This effect can't be reduced, can't reduce the mana in the cost to less than one. It also has one tap, target creature can't block this turn. And there are three, three. So I think the tap target creature can't block this turn is a good way to represent him being able to glide he can fly obviously um but i thought this was a really good way to represent momo he's always there to help ang uh and in this for me in this form he's also helping ang so the great henge uh is the next card we have and this i think represents this really represents the um other aspect that the avatar has the avatar has to go into the spirit realm. He is actually the bridge between the mortal world and the spirit world. The Great Henge is basically that. It's a portal into the spirit world on on Eldraine. So the Great Henge is seven green green legendary artifact. This spell costs X less, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. Tap, add two green. Uh, you gain two life. Whenever a non-creature token enters the battlefield under your control, you can Put a plus one plus one counter on it and draw a card. It really does a lot for the deck in itself. But there is a scene in book one where Aang actually has to save a village from a rampaging uh, forest spirit that was angered actually by the, you find out, by the Fire Nation destroying part of the forest, not at the Earth Nation uh, town that was built there. But the Great Henge can represent that fluctuation between the worlds that Aang can uh, do. So then we finally get to another character that we see in the story. The group actually makes it to 
the first heir, or the first uh, Earth Kingdom town, and they meet Aang's old friend, who's still alive after a hundred years, King Boomy. That's right. Keep diving head in. I'm sure it'll work eventually. And King Boomy, uh, I have represented by Thrun the Last Troll. Uh, I would say Boomy is a pretty big troll in and of himself. We have him as a two green green legendary creature troll shaman. Can't be the target of, can't be, cannot be countered, and can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control. So hexproof. One in a green regenerate thrund, and they are a four four. Uh, Boomy in the book is also very strong and very resilient. Uh, then we have another legendary creature. So next we have um, they finally make it to the northern water tribe. And they meet up with the Master Waterbetter, Paku. So Paku I have represented here as Teferi, Mage of Zalfir. Two, blue, blue, blue. Three, four, flash. Creature creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield have flash. Each opponent can cast spells only any time he or she could cast a sorcery. Uh, really strong card. Also, I think a good way to represent a Master Waterbender. He does end up teaching Katara uh, more about waterbending after she fights her way for it. So then we have uh, Twi and La. Uh, Twi being the moon spirit and La being the sea spirit that live at the Northern Water Tribe. Uh, we represented both of these because they both are represented as koi fish, as in Mystic Remora. Mystic Remora is one blue enchantment, accumulative upkeep one. Whenever an opponent successfully casts a non-creature spell, you may draw a card. That player may pay four to counter this effect. What ends up happening in the storyline is actually the Moon Spirit uh, gets killed by one of the Fire Nation generals, uh, thus taking away part of the power that the Water Tribe has in the full moon that's rep or that's there at the Northern Water Tribe at the moment. And what ends up happening is the moon actually turns blood red when he destroys uh, Twi. And this is represented as in the card Blood Moon. Uh, now, Blood Moon, just an actual Blood Moon. That's what actually happens during the uh, series, too. It's a little hard for our deck to run it because we do we'll be running a few non-basics um but we also do have a couple basics uh land searches so we might end up just getting all five colors in our basic land search so that we don't have to worry about uh our blood moon coming down also you just don't play blood moon until it's actually time to play blood moon so uh now so our group is actually in a really bad spot uh with the moon spirit being dead and all the Water Tribe's powers being greatly diminished. Uh, so what do you do? So how do they get out of this situation? So Aang actually is able to go into the Avatar state and destroy, and with the help of the Sea Spirit, destroys the entire Fire Nation armada that came to destroy the Northern Water Tribe temple. Uh, and also, we have to return the moon power at some point. So we also have uh, Princess Yue, who has a great connection with the Moon Spirit, ends up taking the place of the Moon Spirit, and gets transferred into the Moon. Well, I did have a girlfriend. May. That gloomy girl who sighs a lot? Yeah. Everyone in the Fire Nation thinks I'm a traitor. I couldn't drag her into it. My first girlfriend turned into the Moon. That's rough, buddy. Uh, which is represented as in prison in the moon. 
on the card. So Imprisoned in the Moon, uh, also just a really good card in itself, but it always reminded me of what happened in Avatar. So Imprisoned in the Moon is two blue enchantment aura, enchant creature, land, or planeswalker. Enchanted permanent is colorless, is a colorless land with tap, add one colorless to your mana pool, and loses all other card types and abilities. Uh, just, it's real hard, man, when you're when your girlfriend becomes the moon. And right at the end of book one, we uh, see the next protagonists uh, come in, in Azula. Who are you and what do you want? You mean you haven't guessed? You don't see the family resemblance? Here's a hint. I must find the Avatar to restore my honor. It's okay. You can laugh. It's funny. Azula is Zuko's sister. Uh, who was not banished from the Fire Nation, who is actually a firebending prodigy. Um, throughout the first book, you see Zuko very dedicated to hunting down the Avatar and killing Aang, whereas Iroh is a little more uh, lax and doesn't really need to, or doesn't feel like this is the right path for Zuko, and is trying to guide him more, not towards the path of vengeance, and the, but to find more of an inner peace in himself. Uh, Iroh was actually a past general in the Fire Nation and was actually supposed to take over the leader of the Fire Nation because Iroh is actually Zuko's uh, uncle. Uh, but he ends up passing on it due to a lot of terrible things that happened in his his immediate family and real sorrowful things that you get to learn in other books. So now we're on to book two. We meet our first couple uh, main characters here in Toph. Do people really want to see two little girls fighting out here? So Toph is... Toph we have represented as Azula Lost But Seeking. Uh, Toph is a blind earthbender who learned her earthbending from the original earthbenders, who were the badger moles. Um, Toph is from a rich family. She does underground wrestling... or, or earthbending wrestling events. She is just all around a badass... But she ends up joining the group in season t in book two in season two to teach Aang earthbending. Uh, we have two more that join Azula. Oh, and sorry, uh, we actually represent Azula as Varchild, betrayer of Kel uh, Keldor. I like this as a representation of her because wherever she goes, she's able to subvert people to her cause. She's actually a really good villain. So Varchild is two red legendary creature human knight. Whenever Varchild deals combat damage to a player, that player creates that many 1-1 survivor creature tokens, which is also kind of flavorful uh, for her. Survivors your opponent's control can't block and they can't attack you or planeswalkers you control. When Varchild leaves the battlefield, gain control of all those survivors. Um, so now the, I think the survivors could also be the Dai Li agents if you really want to, which we'll get to as we get to Ba Sing Sei, which is the main Earth Kingdom of uh, the Earth Kingdom. <laughs> but we'll see. So I think that's a really good representation. But she has two uh, childhood friends in uh, Tai Li. Could you scooch just a little bit more to the... Perfect. Tai Li is a... I guess you would call her an acrobat slash chi master because she can actually block people's 
chakra points to keep them from bending. I think Limvala, Keeper of Silence, is a really good representation of that. Limvala, Keeper of Silence, is two white-white flying, so she uses her acrobatics to basically get around defending. Uh, activated abilities of, your, of creatures your opponents control can't be activated, and they're a 3-4. So that sounds like chi blocking to me, if it really comes down to it. Uh, and then we have May. I thought when Tylee and I finally caught you guys, it would be more exciting. Oh well, victory is boring. In the form of Massacre Girl. Massacre Girl and May, they both use knives, and uh, they can really take out entire groups of soldiers if they really want to. So Massacre Girl, three black black, four four menace. When Massacre Girl... Massacre Girl enters the battlefield, each other creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Whenever a creature dies this turn, each creature other than Massacre Girl gets a minus one, minus one. So it's kind of a chain effect. If you kill one creature, you get another minus one, minus one. Then it keeps going if you keep killing creatures to either the point where you wrath the field or everything's significantly lower for that uh, moment in time. So they join Azula on their... Um, Tylee and May join Azula on her hunt for the Avatar and to track down Zuko and Iroh uh, to bring them back as traitors uh, because of some of the things that they did at the Northern Water Tribe. So in book two, they're looking for knowledge to help defeat the Fire Nation and our team Avatar, Aang, Aang, uh, Sokka, and Katara, actually make their way to a ancient library. We have it represented as Sylvan Library here. Uh, Sylvan Library 2 in a green enchantment uh, has a bunch of effects, but basically you can look at the top three cards, keep one into your hand, and put two back on top, or you can pay four life for each additional card and put them into your hand at the beginning of your draw step. There's, It's a hugely worded card, but for the most part, that's it. So that represents our library in the desert. So this library in the desert is also watched over by a giant owl. I would say he's a spirit, uh, by a giant owl spirit. Uh, Wachi Tang, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it, but we have him represented as Rim Wreath, Rim Feather uh, Owl, five blue blue, power and toughness are equal to the number of snow permanents in play, you can pay one in a snow, which is a snow land, can produce a snow, put an ice counter on target permanent, permanents with ice counters on them, on them are snow, so his power just keeps getting bigger and bigger, uh, he comes in as a 1-1, one, one, but we're also probably going to be playing a lot of snow basics, just to cover our Into the North, and also it just helps to keep this creature up. Uh, well, so, when they're in this library, Aang and the gang, except for Toffs, Toff stays out uh, to because she can't really see the point in reading if she's blind, <laughs> which kind of makes sense, right? The owl warns them that they can research anything they'd like to research, just nothing they take out of the library can benefit the war that's going on with the mortals. So they promise, yes, of course, we're not going to do anything like that. And what ends up happening is Sokka finds some information about what is going to be a solar eclipse that'll take away all the Fire Nation's uh, bending. Well, that would significantly help the other people in the war. And uh, that is definitely frowned upon by the Guardian of the Library. So we have this all represented in Faithless Looting. One red, sorcery, draw two cards, then discard two cards, flashback two and a red. Uh, so what ends up happening is the Owl Spirit takes down the entire 
library into the ground so that nobody can ever come back and use it for misuse it by the mortal world at the same time that this library is falling into the sea of sand Toph is trying to stop it but imagine holding an entire library up Toph probably could do it uh, if she wasn't on sand but Appa also has to stay out in the open with Toph, and we end up having sandbenders, which are basically earthbenders, come through and take steal Appa. We have that represented in Agent of Treachery, five blue-blue human rogue. Whenever Agent of Treachery enters the battlefield, gain control of target permanent. At the beginning of your end step, if you control three or more permanents you don't control, draw three cards, and there are two, three. I thought this was just a really good representation. There's plenty of different um, steel effects in the game, but I thought this would be a good one to have to represent Appa being taken. So Appa's taken. They lost their main form of transportation. Somebody drinks some cactus juice. It's kind of crazy. Uh, but they do try to make their way to Ba Sing Se. Uh, they do have to go through the Serpent's Pass. And with the Serpent's Pass, we have a card that is going to be our Serpent in Nezahal Primal Tide. Um, five, two, five blue blue. Can't be countered. You have no maximum hand size. Whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell, you draw a card. And then you can discard three cards, exile it, and it enters the battlefield tapped under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. It's a 7-7. Just our giant beater. Just a giant creature that's going to draw us cards and also represents the serpent at Serpent's Pass. So, they finally get past that. And they make their way to Ba Sing Se. We do have the walls of Ba Sing Se represented here in Wall of Earth. Uh, probably the least powerful card in this entire deck, but Wall of Earth is one in a red, summon wall, zero six. That's it. But it's our wall for Bossing Say, which is the impenetrable wall that only one person has uh, been able to breach the wall, which would have been Uncle Iroh. Then he was actually pushed back right afterwards. Uh, his son did die during that atta- that siege on Bossing Say. So the gang gets to the wall of Bossing Say. We also have the army of Bossing Say that's at the wall, represented in Assemble the Legion. Three red, white enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a muster counter on Assemble the Legion. Then put a 1-1 one, one, uh, red, white soldier creature token onto the battlefield that has haste uh, for each muster counter that's on it. So this is the walls being stocked with soldiers. Um, for the simple fact that there is a giant Fire Nation drill coming to drill through the wall of Ba Sing Se. We have that drill represented as Batterskull. Batterskull is five mana, artifact, equipment, living weapon. Equipped creature gets plus four, plus four, and has vigilance and lifelink. Pay three, return Batterskull to its owner's hand. Equipped for five. Living weapon is you put a zero, zero germ token onto it. Those damn dirty Fire Nation being germs. But Batterskull, I thought, was a really good way to show the wall of Bossing say getting bored through. So they actually are able to come th- most of the way through Bossing through the wall of Bossing say and then uh, Avatar and the gang end up stopping it. There's this whole storyline in book 2 where Aang and the gang confront the Dai Li agents. The Dai Li agents are uh, the special agent guards of the king who's basically a figurehead puppet at this point that's being controlled by the Dai Li. And we go through that whole storyline. Um, a lot of people like to represent that in different story books and everything. And their, cards represent, their card representations on the 
uh, online, but I didn't represent the bossing or the um, Daily agents. You can represent them in if you really like to as um, survivors from Varchild. Uh, that's the closest that I've come to it because they do change sides and end up going over to Azula because uh, she's a conniving woman. She is very crazy. Also represented in the last parts of book two is Azula almost and actually does kill Aang uh, as he's in the Avatar state, which would mean that the Avatar would die forever because he won't be reincarnated if he dies in the Avatar state. Uh, Avatar state obviously being this time where he can pull on all of the spirits before him and all of their skills and experience to superpower himself to fight. We do have the act of this happening in the form of negate the art that i'd like to use for negate because it kind of shows a bald-headed kid being brought down by an evil sorceress uh is the one from dragons of tarkir uh and that's our negate it's also a protection for the deck so but also a really good way to say hey look azula almost just won the war right there and then zuko was also there along with iroh iroh ends up being deemed a traitor because he helped the Avatar and his friends get away, whereas Zuko uh, said he killed the Avatar. Or didn't say he killed the Avatar, but his sister said he did so that he could come back into the fold with his father. And also, if Zuko knew that the Avatar might not have died, and he did, the only reason he didn't die is because Katara had some healing water from the Northern Water Tribe, that's the only reason that Aang didn't die. And Zuko kind of had a feeling that it couldn't have been that easy. And even though he was in the good graces of his father again, Azula said, well, if you know something, then if I gave you all the credit and he was wrong, then you'll be the only one that got in trouble. So Azula, pretty darn smart. And now we're on to book three. Book three, uh, the main character that we introduce here would be Fire Lord, uh, the Fire Lord, Zuko's father. I have him represented here as uh, Godo Bandit Warlord, five in a red. Whenever Golo, Godo Bandit Warlord enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an equipment, put it into the battlefield. If you do, then shuffle your library. Whenever Godo attacks for the first time, each turn, untap it, and all samurai you control. After this phase, there's an additional combat phase. Uh, we do have a few equipment in the deck, but I thought I could have gone with... There was a couple dragons that had some, like, deal all damage to creatures on the battlefield, but I thought Godo Bandit Warlord is a good way to say that he really is conniving and you, you wonder azula probably learned everything from her father so that's the best way to represent him so one of those equipment that i was talking about would be the space sword that Sokka ends up getting Sokka ends up getting uh going and training under a renowned fire nation sword fighter and ends up getting a space sword but black blade reforged is two legendary artifact equipment Equip creature gets plus one, plus one for each land you control. Equipping legendary creature is three, and just regular equipped is seven. I mean, that's like a space blade. It has to be, right? So that's pretty cool. And then now, at some point in book three, Suko has a change of heart, realizes what he did was wrong, what he's been doing is wrong. He doesn't need his father's approval. Iroh was right the entire time. Uh, during the eclipse, he actually decides... I'm going to join Team Avatar to take down what my father has been doing. And what his father's basically been doing is just killing 
with his armies just killing so many innocent people and taking so much land that doesn't really belong to the Fire Nation. Suko joins Team Avatar. Humming and hawing by Team Avatar, uh, because there is this guy that was trying to kill you for the last two seasons, and now he says he wants to join you. How can we trust him? He almost joined you in or in book two, but he betrayed you right there, so why should we trust him? Katara has a real hard time trusting Zuko. Uh, but Zuko is now Aang's firebending teacher. So we have Katara, his waterbending teacher. We have Toph, his earthbending teacher. And we have Zuko, his firebending teacher. So Aang now is able to unlock his firebending. Uh, it is a little hard for him at first, and it is actually a little hard for Zuko uh, having a conflict of interest and not really knowing where his fire comes from at this point, because most of the time he would summon his fire with the feeling of rage. So they both end up taking, which ends up being a different episodes, each of the Team Avatar goes on a little trip with Zuko, which is great, because I always thought of Zuko kind of as the father of the group. He came in and is like, well... You kids are unruly. What are you doing? How did I not catch you? Um, but Zuko and him go on a trip to the fire, to a firebending tribe that lived within the firebending nation. And there they actually meet the last two dragons, which his father, or with his, which his uncle Iroh said he'd killed, but really left them alive for the fact that maybe he couldn't, I, he probably could have killed a dragon, but for the most part, I think these are things that you should leave. He understands the balance of the world and the nature of things as he got older, Iroh. Um, but we have Ra and Shaw. Ra and Shaw are represented by Kaiga, the Tiding Star. Five in a blue. Legendary creature, spirit dragon, flying. When, when it dies, gain control of target creature. It's a 5-5. Five, five. And then we have Ryusei, the Falling Star. Five in a red. 5-5 five, five, flying whenever it dies. It deals five damage to each creature without flying. Uh, these represent the two dragons that end up showing Zuko the real meaning of firebending, that it comes from life, that it comes, it's growth and it's living, and that you have to cultivate it within you. And it shows Aang that it's not something to be afraid of, because Aang actually had a firebending teacher for a little bit, which was a exiled um, fire general but ended up burning Katara, and from that point on, he had actually said that he was never going to firebend again, but he realized that it was just because he didn't have the certain respect that he needed to have for firebending. Um, <clears throat> as we keep going through the series, or through the last season, uh, Aang realizes he's going to have to kill Fire Lord Ozai. Aang is a pacifist. Aang says he doesn't even want to kill, usually wants to kill... Uh, small creatures, like even bugs or anything like that. So having to come to terms with that you have to kill somebody going against your entire being is something that I, Aang is really challenged with. He doesn't know if he's going to be able to do it. So on the eve before the... what is Everything in the whole story is leading up to what is called Sozin's Comet. Now, Sozin's Comet is this time when a comet passes so close to their world and it gives all firebenders supercharged like this is how they killed an entire nation of airbenders in a hundred years ago is sozin's comet came through they had the power they went through they killed all the airbenders now so it's a hundred years later sozin's comet's coming around they have to defeat the fire lord before sozin's comet uh for the simple fact that sozin's comet will give him give the new fire lord which is the phoenix lord sorry he 
he gets really egomaniacal towards the end. Uh, the Fire Lord, uh, Ozai. I think it's Ozai. It might be a different one. Sorry. With Sozin's Comet, they are actually going to destroy the entire Earth Kingdom. We do have Sozin's Comet represented in our story here with the card Star of Extinction. Five red, red, sorcery, destroy target land, which would be the Earth Kingdom. <laughs> Ex- uh, Star of Extinction deals 20 damage to each creature and each planeswalker. So Aang, suffering with this idea that he's going to have to kill someone, uh, ends up being kind of transported, but also just kind of walks off onto uh, what is a lion a lion turtle. Now, lion turtles, if you watch Legend of Korra, are actually where all humans lived in the before times when uh, there wasn't a spirit world and not a... There was no spirit world and human world breaking. Uh, they were still one world. Uh, they would Humans would live on top of lion turtles and travel from place to place. They would actually be able to be granted fire bend, or their bending from the lion turtles. Meandering Tower Shell is our lion turtle. Three green green creature turtle island walk. We find him in the ocean anyways there. When Meandering Tower Shell attacks, exile it. Return it to the battlefield under your control, tapped and attacking at the beginning of the declare attacker step on your next turn. It's a 5-9. The lion turtle shows Aang that there's actually a way to neutralize the fire lord during... Uh, instead of killing him, and that he's actually going to have to make that decision because it is pitting your will against the other's will, and you have to be pure of heart and have these pure intentions. Uh, so Aang is going to try this. We do have that represented as well in D-Spark. Uh, Aang has a massive fight with the Fire Lord. during As Sozin's Comet is coming through, the Fire Lord is actually torching uh, parts of the Earth Kingdom as they're going through, Aang is able to stop him, uh, going into the Avatar, Avatar state in Ugin the Spirit Dragon, uh, and ends up taking away the Fire Lord's bending in D-Spark. D-Spark is white, black, exile, target permanent with converted mana cost 4 or greater. Uh, it's an instant. And that's basically the end of the series. Uh, those are all the cards that we have represented. Uh, now I do have more cards that I'm going to go over here. Some cards that represent bending the different types of bending, some cards that represent uh, a few leaders that you probably won't get to see because they might have been dead or other things like that. Uh, And then some spirits that we get to meet along the way. So let's go through that. So the first one, Mangara the Diplomat. I think this is a good representation of a air nomad leader. You could do like, you could do uh, Shu Yung, Shu Yung, the Silent Tempest. Now, a lot of people use that as their Aang in their decks, but I don't think we play enough instants and sorceries. And Mangara is a three white lifelink. Whenever an opponent attacks with a creature, if two or more of those creatures are attacking you or a Planeswalker you control, draw a card. And whenever an opponent casts their second spell, each turn you draw a card. So good draw effect. Uh, there are two four. Right now, we actually had representations for all of the leaders. Godo, Bandit Warlord, as our Fire Nation. Teferi, Mage of Zalfir, as our Water Nation. Thrun, the Last Troll, as our Earth Nation. So I thought we would even it all out and have our Air Nation. We have Casualties of War. Throughout the entire series, you see everything from Jet, who is a freedom fighter, 
uh, who lost his family to the Fire Nation, to people with different scars, people that lost family members. Uh, Casualty of War just takes all of the events that happened throughout the entire series uh, and kind of sums it all up. Two, black, black, green, green, sorcery, choose one or more, destroy target artifact, destroy target creature, destroy target enchantment, destroy target land, destroy target uh, planeswalker. Um, Casualty is a war, just a good way to represent it. Uh, we do have a face-stealing face stealing spirit that Aang actually has to go and see for enlightenment um, into what he has to do. Uh, I'm not completely sure. I can't really remember. But we do have a representation of that face-stealing face stealing, uh, spirit as Sakashima, uh, as Sakashima the Imposter. Uh, Sakashima the Imposter is two blue-blue legendary creature human rogue as it enters, or as... It comes into play, you choose a creature in play. If you do, Sakashima becomes a copy of that creature, except it has the name Sakashima. Uh, is a legend, and it's still legendary. It has two blue-blue return Sakashima to its owner's hand at the end of turn. It starts as a 3-1. Um, I mean, crazy, right? You st- it steals faces, so it just keeps coming into play. Steal a new creature's ability. Steal a new face. Um, the next we have is our representations of actual bending. So awaken the Vizugazi. Three green green instant. Put nine plus one plus one counters on target land you control. It becomes a legendary zero zero elemental creature with haste named Vizugazi. It's still land. I like to represent this as earthbending. You you could have an entire mountain coming at you. Uh, Maybe Boomy is throwing an entire building at you. Uh, Awaken the Vizugazi. A great way to represent that. Fiery Confluence. Fiery Confluence is two red, red sorcery. Choose three. You may choose the same mode more than once. Deals one damage target to each creature. Deals two damage to each opponent. Destroy target artifact. Um, I think this is a good way to represent firebending. Uh, you could have used a fireball. You could have used all those things. But really, if we use fireballs, it doesn't really work with our general. Uh, say we hit a fireball off of uh, Godo. I mean, I don't, I don't know how, if you can pay X into it, uh, or if it just casts for zero. But I think fiery confluence is a good, good way to have targeted removal. A little bit of air bending into fairies protection to white instant until end of turn. Your lo- life total can't change. You have protection from everything. All permanents you control phase out. Exile to fairies uh, protection. A lot of air bending is deflection, uh, defense, and winning combat through attrition in that way. So Teferi's Protection, I think, is a good way to represent that, as well as Deflecting Bomb, Red, White, Instant, the next source, the next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn, prevent that damage. If that damage is prevented this way, Deflecting Bomb deals that much damage to that source's controller. Another way, deflecting the energy that an opponent is bringing at you. We have a couple of ones for waterbending. We have Eel Umbra, one in a blue, flash, enchantment, enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and has totem armor. Way to protect your creatures, way to also just use water to your advantage. It gives you a flash element. Everything is with water. Uh, there are a couple times that Katara uses uh, water with as being multiple like arms and tentacles, extensions of her body. This is represented in Octopus Umbra, three, blue, blue. Enchanted creature has base power and toughness, eight, eight, and has... Whenever this creature attacks, you may tap target creature with power 8 or less. It also has totem armor. 
Scattered to the winds, uh, one blue-blue, counter-target spell, awaken for three, awaken awakens uh, a land. Now, that could be, like, a mixture of uh, Aang using water, earth, and air, uh, but it's a good counter-spell. It awakens a land, and and then part the water veil for blue-blue, take an extra turn after this one, exile part the water veil, awaken for six, kind of the same as scattered to the winds, um, being able to use two elements at once. So, and now we move on to some of the different different um, equipments that each uh, avatar, team avatar member has. So, Sunforger, uh, a lot of people use the actual boomerang card in Magic as the boomerang that Sokka uh, has, because boomerang will always come back to him. But Sunforger, I think, also always comes back to you. Sunforger is three artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus four, plus O. Oh. Red, white, unattached sun forger. Search your library for a red or white instant card with converted mana cost four or less. Cast that without paying its mana cost. Then shuffle your library. Equips for three. Boomerang will always come back and so will sun forger. Kite sail, also a little bit underpowered, but it does give your creatures flying. Uh, Aang always had a, a staff that turned into basically a kite sail and he couldn't fly with that using his air bending. He actually flew. So two... Two mana, artifact equipment, equip creature gets plus one, plus oh, and has flying, equips for two. Adventure gear. Now, adventure gear looked more like a, a water pouch to me, and Kantara always carried a water pouch with her so that she could use her water bending wherever she was. Now, she ends up basically being able to suck water out of almost anything, including humans, uh, but for the most part, she carried a water jug with her. Adventure gear is one, one mana, equip cre- er, artifact equipment, Landfall, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, a quick creature gets plus two, plus two in intended turn, and it equips for one. Uh, then we have General Kuboto. Uh, it's his armor. Uh, so Toph ends up learning how to bend metal at one point, which everybody thinks is actually impossible, but she can actually see the small parts of unpurified earth that's still in metal and creates metal armor around her. If it's even just around her, she can use that. So this General Kudos is four mana, artifact equipment, equipped creature can't be targeted with spells or abilities, which is great when Toph literally can't be damaged by most anything when she's in metal armor. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to a equipped creature. Equips for two. Um, then we have a few other things. Soul Ring. Soul Ring, obviously a really good card, but it can also be a representation of when Aang is finally able to ascend past... Uh, everything that is holding him back and attain um, true enlightenment and become an avatar or and be able to tap into the avatar state in and out of will. Chromatic Lantern. Now, I don't have a really great comparison and thematic thing that can go with Chromatic Lantern. It's really needed for the deck, obviously, because you're a five-color deck with multiple uh, different mana costs that you're going to need. Um, but if you think of something really good that Chromatic Lantern can represent in the story, I'd be more than happy to hear it. All right, so some of our last few cards here. We have Farseek. There's a lot of searching and a lot of uh, traveling that the companion or that team avatar does. Farseek, great way to represent that. Uh, rampant Growth. Now, Rampant Growth, I would like to think, is also uh, more of an earthbending technique, allowing the ground and uh, everything to come up and meet you, bringing the earth to you. Uh, and then we have, and then we have our last few cards here in uh, a couple signets. 
so Azoria Signet, uh, each each of the different elements have their own symbols. So Azoria Signet, I'd like to think is air. Gruul Signet, I'd like to think is earth. Is it Signet, I'd like to think is fire. And then uh, Simic Signet, I'd like to think is water. Uh, you can switch these around how you'd like, but I thought those represented it quite well. So those are all of our cards. Those are all of our main players. Those are all of the major events that happen. Uh, we do our lands. I play some of the temples, also representing some of the air temples. Some of the uh, Each avatar has their own temple in each of the nations, and I think those are some good ones. You can play Ziggurat as the fire tribe that they go and visit. Uh, Cascading Cataract I use also is just also a really great way to help activate your commander, but it's also uh, a good representation of what Ancient Ziggurat would be as the Fire Nation uh, tribe that they go and visit. Uh, But for the lands, I play at least three of each snow basic uh, so that we can find that with Into the North and also help uh, help our owl to grow. And I also play Command Tower uh, and then a bunch of land bases. But I think I'm going to start steering away unless the lands have a specific uh, need to the story. I think you can just kind of build the base how you want and sky it how you want. Like Glacial Fortress can represent the Northern uh, Water Tribe. Hollow Fountain can also be the Northern Water Tribe. Everything like that. So there you go. So with that, we're going to move on to Section 3. Uh, kind of just the playing of the deck. Fire is the element of power. The people of the Fire Nation have desire and will, and the energy and drive to achieve what they want. Earth is the element of substance. The people of the Earth Kingdom are diverse and strong. They are persistent and enduring. Air is the element of freedom. The air nomads detached themselves from worldly concerns and found peace and freedom. Also, they apparently had pretty good senses of humor. Water is the element of change. The people of the water tribe are capable of adapting to many things. They have a deep sense of community and love that holds them together through anything. Why are you telling me these things? It is important to draw wisdom from many different places. If we take it from only one place, it becomes rigid and stale. Understanding others, the other elements, and the other nations will help you become whole. So, here we are in section three. Um, The deck is pulled in a whole lot of different directions. Uh, from just having massive creatures in Nezahal, uh, Ugin just being a big effect, a lot of weird effects like Beloved of the Sea, having Blue Devotion, and the mana base. So we're really not leaning on black very heavily at all. I think we have at most one, two, three black cards at most in the deck. So we don't really have to focus in our mana base uh, building around black, as you saw with our signets, our rampant growths. Uh, Chromatic Lantern is one of the ways to go and search up black. Um, we do have quite a bit of draw in the deck, our general being one of them. I, I've played a lot of Godot, not super competitive, but I actually have a Saga slash 
shrine deck now. It used to just be straight sagas. Every saga I could put into it. Um, Golo or Go to Go to hmm? Golos is the head of that deck. When you are out on cards and Golos just ramps himself into the next card, so even if they remove Golos, you basically just have to drop a land, you can recast him, go get another land, and he pays for his own tax. But we do have, like, an equipment package that we can get with Go uh, Godo. Uh, some of the really good ones we can always get is General Kudo's armor, you can get Sunforger if you want to tutor out things like Teferi's Protection or Path to Exile. We have a couple of Wrath effects in Blasphemous Act and... Star of Extinction, as well as Ugin. But really, if you just get your commander out, ramp, and then use its ability, most of the cards you're going to hit are going to be super powerful, super strong, get you advanced on the team on the board, uh, and then you can also play out the story as it goes through. Maybe you can try and do some achievements, like get all of book one to happen before you get any of the other cards out. Um, or you can try and... Uh, get different characters to interact with each other. That's what I'd really like to try with this deck. A lot of our cards do help out our commander as well. We do have a few draw effects in Mangara, Faithless Looting, The Great Henge. I mean, if you can get Agent of Treachery to go off, that'd be crazy. Uh, if you can get him to happen somehow in this deck multiple times, why not? Maybe with uh, Sakashima the Imposter, you have it come back into play and copy Agent of Treachery. Bounce back to your hand. Copy Agent Treachery. Now you're drawing three cards per turn. That seems pretty sweet. We have Mystic Remora. Also great. The amount of ramp I play in the deck right now is Azusa, Lost But Seeking. That's one. Farseek, two. Into the North, three. Ramp of Growth, four. Five, six, seven, eight as our Signets. Uh, nine with Soul Ring. And ten can kind of be Chromatic Lantern. But ten... 10 ramp, we hit there fine, or pretty well. Our single target removal. Oh, well, also, Kaiga the uh, Tide Star, or Ra, can also steal permanence, so maybe you will get to get Asian Treachery off. Uh, but that's also a single target removal spell. Path to Exile, also great. D-Spark, great. Casualties of War, great. So, really, it's basically a giant pile of good stuff with some Wrath effects, with Assemble the Legion, with um, being pulled in all different directions. The converted mana cost were pretty high, with 16 total cards being in 2 CMC. But we do play some bigger spells. Things like Blasphemous Act can take us off of that curve, but even so, we're still at 3.8. So you are going to want to ramp out, get our commander out, and start using the ability as soon as possible. I think, you know, I might even... I have most of these cards. I'll probably build this deck, see how it plays. You can always build Goto however you want. That's the great part about Goto. Um, and also being a tireless pilgrim and uh, Aang, our main character, not too bad either. All right. And with that, we're on to the fourth section, which is the price of the deck. The people here are the friendliest in the world. Rotten cabbages? What kind of slum do you think this is? Oh, my cabbages! <gasps> my cabbages! You're going to pay for this! Two cabbages, please. Your Majesty, these juveniles were arrested for vandalism, traveling under false pretenses, and malicious destruction of cabbages. Off with their heads! One for each head of cabbage! Silence! So the price of the deck, it's at, without lands, for the most part, it's about $357. Um, I've found you can actually play 
a whole ton of basics in a five heller Gol Golos deck. Because really, in the end, Golos can go and search up Cascading Cataract, and then you are right on your mana again. And it's not that hard to get Golos out. If you're playing a whole lot of green for your ramp, or you're playing your Signets, it's really good. Three most expensive cards in the deck right now. Uh, Ugin is about 30. Teferi's Protection is also about 30. But Golos is only coming in at $4, which I think is a steal for the most part, if you can pick up a Golos. And then the last most expensive card in the deck is Library, uh, Sylvan Library. You can probably find a substitute that represents li a library a little bit better than Sylvan Library if you don't want to spend the $74 on it. Um, but you never know, in this upcoming Double Master set, we might just get Sylvan Library reprinted, which would be great. Uh, alternative ways to play this, play this specific deck... I mean, it really is just a good stuff deck. You you might go with a specific theme if you want to. Uh, we have a lot of legendary creatures. You could add, to say, uh, Weatherlight Captain. That could be your Pirate Captain if you want to add that. And you have different ways to search up your legendaries. Whatever you'd like to do, that's the best ways to play it. But um, I think the deck. I really do. And I mostly, yeah. Okay. Uh, and on to our final section, the end of the show. There's an old story about a secret pass right through the mountains. Is this real or a legend? Oh, it's a real legend. And it's as old as earthbending itself. Two lovers forbidden from one another. A war divides their people. And a mountain divides them apart. Built a path to be together. Yeah, I forget the next couple lines, but uh, then it goes. Secret tunnel, secret tunnel, through the mountain. Secret, 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 secret tunnel. Yeah. So I just wanted to say thank you to everybody for holding in there. I know it's been a week since I was able to post. Like I said, I ran into a couple bad luck things and also some life things that I had to take care of. Uh, thank you so much for listening to it. Avatar The Last Airbender is probably one of my favorite shows. I also have watched She-Ra, the new Princess of Power, which is also a great show if you get a chance to watch that. If you want to get a hold of me, you can either tweet at me at WolfieMTG on Twitter. You can email me at wolfystar12 at gmail.com. Uh, and you can tweet at me or email me ideas for theme decks that you have, uh, discussions that you want to have about theme decks, about this deck, about any other shows you want me to try and uh, replicate through commander decks. I'm more than happy to try and do that. If you're wondering about how I choose each card and what search engines I use for that and how I go through that, feel free to text me or to tweet at me or email me. I'm more than happy to tell you how I do that. Uh, this is now my fifth episode, I believe. So I'm really happy to keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing this. The next one we do is probably going to be um, either, like I said, mirror-themed, and I'll go over the mirror a little bit, uh, or it's going to be uh, one of my other decks that I really like playing. Right now I'm doing a challenge for myself where I'm making... Uh, 32 decks every color combination uh, if you have an idea for one of the color combinations that you want me to choose as one of my decks 
please send it in. I'll take a look at it. If it really intrigues me, I'm going to do it. Then I'm also trying to work on... This has always been running through my head. There's... I really love the... I do really love the Ravnica blocks and the Ravnica themes. Um, and I've always loved the game Risk, obviously. I want to create, at some point, a game uh, where you have a either a digital board that would be online... And it sets out either the 10th district of Ravnica or another district. We can choose really any district. The entire world is a city. Um, And to section each of those off into some amount of sections. And each guild would have to battle for certain grounds. Uh, And then there'd be like special spaces where they're either the guildless or it could be a moment after... Uh, Ravnica was attacked by Nicobolus, where there's still some of the undead that are living through the kingdom, or through the district. Um, but I'd like it to have it something like that, each space having their own ability, each um, guild group having their own ability, and then people play blocked Ravnica block-themed EDH decks uh, that can cover any Ravnica-themed card um, from, like, Karloff of the Ghost Council, to Mizzix, uh, just, you could play any card as long as it's either Ravnica-themed or in the Ravnica block. Uh, but that's my idea. I really want to try and get this going. At some point, I'm going to put it down on paper. But if you have your own ideas for how this game could be played, tweet at me, text me, tell me some of the abilities you think some of the guilds should have, tell me some of the abilities you think parts of the district should have, or some other factors that should come in. I'd love to hear your ideas about that. But thank you so much. I'm so happy that you're listening here. Uh, I hope to get this out probably midweek. We'll see how much time I have. But keep cool, keep safe, and keep it casual. so slow like fragile tiny shells drifting in the foam little soldier come marching home brave soldier boy comes marching home